our series this morning, the book of Acts. If you have a Bible handy, I invite you to open it with me to Acts chapter 5 here this morning, our series Before You Go. And I, I always remind you the reason I titled it that was because the book of Acts is predominantly about the acts of the Holy Spirit, not so much the acts of the apostles. It's what the Holy Spirit was doing in the life of the apostles. And so the same thing is true for us. Before we head into the day, before we ever do anything to stop and to pray and to go, Lord, I need you, fill me, open my eyes, open my ears. And it's a wonderful adventure, this life that we get to enjoy. I titled this morning's message, as I shared with you last week, I wish I had a prize I could give you because I could ask you this. Does anybody remember how many miracles are recorded in the book of Acts? I shared this with you last week. There, there's 29 recorded miracles in the book of Acts. And in, in Acts chapter 5, we find the third miracle. And so I titled this morning's message, The Miracle No One Wants, okay? Because we always talk about this. People, Pastor Mike, what, what, why don't we have miracles like we did in Jesus' day? And I go, well, you want to be careful which miracle you're talking about, because this is one that we'll read about, but I promise you this is not a miracle that you would want to experience. But nonetheless, it is a miracle. And so as you look at this, just a little bit of, of thought uh, before we pray here and jump into this, sometimes you talk to people about the Bible, and John just finished going through the Old Testament, now is in the New Testament on Wednesday nights, and you talk to people and they'll go, you know what? I the God of the Old Testament seems different than the God of the New Testament. The God of the Old Testament seems like he's mad. He's, he's legalistic and he's harsh and he's just like sitting up there looking to who could mess up and he can thump them, right? And then you go, but the God of the New Testament, he's gracious, he's loving, he's kind. And you forget it. The, it's the same God. The God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. And here in Acts chapter 5, you have some more study for those of you that like to go deeper into the aspect of the concept of the Trinity, of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, three distinct personalities, but one Godhead. And uh, we'll see that again here. And matter of fact, and, and I've appreciated it in speaking with some of you through the course of this study, as we're really focusing on the Holy Spirit, and you've said it, you know, whether it's an email or person text uh, is just going, man, I never really paid that much attention to the fact that really the attention is drawn to the Holy Spirit and really not to the apostles and actually even not so much to the Father and the Son, that the, this really all the attention here is focusing on what the Holy Spirit is doing. And I think chapter five is one of those chapters that really draws out a lot here for us. But we see here in, in Acts chapter five, the judgment of God being poured out on a husband and wife here. And this is now think about this, because you'll hear people say, I get that before the cross, right? Before Jesus went to the cross and died. Yeah, but because he's died and he's bore our sin, it's a, different, it's a different day. And you go, understand what we're reading today is after the cross, right? After Jesus was crucified, after Jesus resurrected from the dead, and even after the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was poured out on all believers. And so I think it's important that we pay attention to that. I like what one commentator, he put it this way. He said, the church went from great grace and great power, which we read last week in Acts 4.33, to great fear in Acts chapter 5, verse 11. And again, like I said, this is the third miracle. The first miracle, if you've been 
with us that was the miracle with the man who was born lame and there had been lame for 40 years and was healed. And then when the building shook, that was the second miracle. And now we're going to see the third miracle that takes place today. I like what Donald Gray Barnhouse, he, he's written some great commentary and he was uh, the pastor of uh, the 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And he, he felt so strong and had such deep convictions about hymns, just wonderful hymns that the church would sing. There would become certain hymns that the church would sing and certain verses that he refused to let the church sing. And he would see them and he would either take that verse out of the hymn or he would just tell the choir director, we're just not going to, we're not going to sing this. And the reason being is he said that, that the church couldn't sing some of the hymns that were written because they, he knew that they couldn't sing them without being a hypocrite. And that meant something to him. And he used to say, if God, if the Holy Spirit acted today in the same manner that he acts here in the book of Acts and chapter five in particular, he said, you'd need a morgue in the basement of every church and a mortician on every staff. He says, imagine if I were singing, I surrender all, but if God, the Holy Spirit were acting with the same level of purity that he did in Acts chapter five, because you're not surrendering all at that moment, you're holding something back. You're not really surrendering all of your life like the song would lead you and you're declaring it when singing. And he said, all of a sudden you look around and you look and you go, boom, row two, I'll pick rows where there's nobody seated. Row two over here, boom, somebody falls. Row three over here, boom, somebody falls. The ushers are got the headsets on, they go, there's another row six there in the corner. There's a guy standing, boom, he's down. Okay, and people are just, you go, people would be dropping like flies. And you go, what is the difference here? And I think there's some things that, like I said, the Lord will draw out here. And so let's take a moment and we'll pray and we'll jump into this. We'll look at verses uh, 1 through 11 in uh, Acts chapter 5 here this morning. Father God, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for your mercy, God, and your grace. Uh, Lord, we'll read a chapter like this and we recognize we need it. And thank you that you provide it. And at the same time, Lord, help us to recognize that you are a holy God, that you're a God of purity, and that, God, you desire that we be holy, as your word declares, that we be holy as you are holy. And, God, it's not something we can do to ourselves, but, Lord, we can present ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy, complete, meaning give ourselves all over to you, and that, God, you who begins that good work will complete it. You're the one who sanctifies us. You're the one who justifies us. And, uh, Lord, you, uh, God, desire to do that work even today. And so, Help us as we go into this to have open eyes and open ears to hear what the Spirit of God would speak to us today. We thank you for just a wonderful time of worship, just beautiful voices and instruments, and Lord, that just massage our heart, help us to lay aside the cares of this world. And there's so many, and they seem to be growing day by day. But Lord, thank you that there's peace with you and there's joy, Lord, in your presence. We, we love you, and Lord, we look forward to what you'll speak to us today. And we just invite you to do so as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And so last week we ended there in chapter four, a guy named Barnabas. Remember his name means son of encouragement. And Barnabas, um, there on the island of Cyprus, he owned a piece of property and, and he sold it. And he brought the proceeds of it and he gave it to the apostles. And that was to help with the ministry to the believers. I, I shared with you by that time, there was 5,000 believers and many of them, their work ha was devoted to the temple. 
And so there was probably a lot of what they would have been as what we would call the Messianic Jews that were turning to Jesus, recognizing him as the promised Messiah, who were upsetting then the Sadducees and were probably losing their jobs. And they were, again, when you live in such a, if you've ever been to Israel and Jerusalem in particular, and to live in such close quarters there, it's easy to become ostracized. It's easy to, to reach a place where you can't function in society, and it's a way to pressure people. And we see that there's a biblical manner in which that takes place as well. And when you've got 5,000 people that might be out of work, the needs are great. And so the church responding to that, again, gathered together and they took their possessions and they distributed as other people had need. And it blessed not only the church, but it blessed the community as well. And other people, like I said, were being added to the church. They were seeing the love that the church was sharing. And so in that process, probably what happened was this guy that we'll read about, Ananias and Sapphira, his wife, they saw, just like in the world today, they saw Barnabas, who his name, again, means son of encouragement, encouraging the body of Christ through his generosity and through his giving, and saw how it touched people's lives and how people were blessed by it. And they wanted to get in on the action too. I think that's a pretty safe thing to say as we read in context here, the things that that will transpire. And again, you look at this in in chapter five and verse one, and it tells us, it says, but there was a certain man named Ananias who with his wife, so it means that they're in agreement here, Sapphira sold some property. And I, I like the fact that his name, his name means God is gracious and Sapphira means beautiful. And in one sense, it's been well said, if you study commentary, read books uh, that says they basically weren't living up to their names. They weren't living up to who they were. They were being hypocrites here more than anything else. And it's important that what was taking place was hypocrisy. It wasn't that they weren't giving. That wasn't the issue. And it wasn't the amount that they gave. It truly was hypocrisy that we see. George MacDonald is a commentary that I like. He said this, he, he said, Half the misery in the world is caused by people trying to look rather than trying to be. And I think that was the problem with Ananias and Sapphira. They were more worried about what they would look like. They loved the fact that people were appreciating Barnabas and and they saw the way that he was able to touch people's lives through his generosity. They wanted that, but they wanted it for the wrong reasons, not for the benefit of other people. They wanted it for the benefit of themselves. And that's always wrong. Verse two goes on and it says, and he brought part, and there's the key, he brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming that it was the full amount with his wife's consent, he kept the rest. And again, like I said, it's not that he held back a portion, the sale there. It was, he was attempting and really in the truest sense to appear more spiritual than they actually were. And like I said, the, the sin here really is hypocrisy. And the, and really what makes it sad is they were in on it together. You can read this as a husband or a wife, but in this sense, you'd probably you'd want to read it as a wife. And you go, what if my husband did that? Do I have to go with him? And you go, you're to submit to your husband as he does unto the Lord. Now, you don't have to submit in sin. So this is definitely is something that's sinful and you don't have to submit to it. And, and again, it's really interesting as this unfolds here, because if you look at what the story of Achan, if you remember the story of Achan there, and I think it's in Numbers like 32, I think it's in Joshua 7, 
where Aiken, remember at the, the Battle of Ai, they lost the battle. And, and the reason why was because when they defeated Jericho, that the Lord had told them, don't take any of the spoils because they're defiled. Everything about Jericho is defiled and just eliminate it, just obliterate it. But Achan, he decided, I'm going to take some of the spoils. I'm going to take some gold, take a jacket, bury it under my tent and hide it there. Nobody will know. It's not that big a deal. It's not like a whole lot. And then they end up going into battle and they lose. And they're trying to figure out what the heck is going on. And the expression, there was sin in the camp, right? And it prevented them from victorious, from victory. And so what that was in the Old Testament, Achan, that story, really the book of Acts with Ananias and Sapphira is to the New Testament as well. And so it's something to really be, to think about here. And you go, why would that have been different in the sense of Ananias and Sapphira? And you have to think about where, where the church was in that moment, right? The church had just begun. I mean, it, it had 3,000 souls had been added, 2,000 souls. You got 5,000 people. So if you look at it like a plant, and I, I, I did a lot of reading this last week, you know, on this particular point. And just to summarize the thought to you, it was like, they said, like, um, the children of Israel, there was 12 tribes and there was a lot. If one, one tribe messed up and the other tribe was doing good, there was still going to be the opportunity for victory. But when the church was born, you have to picture it like it's a baby and the smallest infection can literally take the life from a baby. And so there, it needs growth and it needs development. And so to experience this, this sin and this impurity in its infancy had the ability in the truest sense, and there's just more to it. I'm just summarizing it, but I thought that was a, a very interesting thought as to why this is so severe at the, this infant stage of the church and God, why isn't he doing it to the same degree today? He's because he's the same God and you go, there's a lot that we can glean from that, but God is definitely gracious. One of the things that we see in the book of Acts is how God grows the church. We see that God added to the church, right? God multiplies the church. You ever thought about that God also subtracts from the church? That he takes away. He does the same thing on our lives collectively. He does it individually. God adds, he multiplies, and he subtracts. But what's the one thing God doesn't do? If you're a math person here. What was the one thing I really let, I left out? Divide. He doesn't divide us. We do that. Do we need any help? You know, no, we don't, we don't need any help. We're pretty good at that, but adding and multiplying, but here the Lord actually is, is subtracting. I've shared with you before, pastor Chuck Smith at most of the pastor's conferences at the latter part of his life, when, after he got cancer in particular, and he knew that his years were numbered. Chuck would tell us stories about different times through the history of Calvary Chapel where people would rise up and they would gather people unto themselves and they would come and they would try to pressure Pastor Chuck or they'd try to pressure the board to change the theology of Calvary Chapel when, you know, Calvinism probably was the biggest enemy to Calvary Chapel, more, probably more than any other, you know, things that have impacted the church through the years. And there's been a lot. But he basically would just say this. He would just say, don't try to change the theology of Calvary Chapel. We are who we are. If you don't like what we believe and you don't agree with what we believe, he said, then I just want to invite you, he says, to go. Just go. He said, don't go away mad, but just go. 
And he would say that every pastor's conference. He's just, we're not here to fight about things. He goes, gosh, there's, I know in Bakersfield, there's well over 400 churches in Bakersfield, and there's probably room for more in that regard. And he goes, so if you don't, you go, then don't be divisive. He says, just go. And then, and don't like what happens because in divisiveness, people then they'll go, they'll try to take people with them and everything else. He goes, that's just being divisive. He goes, but understand this, the Lord does add, the Lord subtracts. And we see that here in the book of Acts here. And again, one of the things that I don't remember which commentator it was that said this, but he said, once the love of money takes possession of a person, he says, there's no evil that he cannot or will not do. And I think that's one of the things that you see that the Lord really is dealing with here in Acts chapter 5. David Guzik in his commentary on Acts wrote this. He said, according to Calvin, he said, these are the evils packed under the sin of Ananias before the church, before the mere attempt to deceive God and the church. So these are the sins. He said, the contempt of God, the sacrilegious defrauding, the perverse vanity and ambition, the lack of faith, the corrupting of good and holy order and hypocrisy. So there's just, there's a lot that you can study that is through this. And it really, you want to take some time and understand it because it being the third miracle in, in the book of Acts here, it's important that we comprehend it. What was the Lord really trying to teach us there? In verse three, he goes on, he says, and then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? Man, I could spend all day on just that one portion of this right here. Demonic possession versus demonic oppression. So let me ask you this. Can a Christian be possessed by the devil? What would you say? Yeah, so you're shaking your head. No, no. Can a believer be oppressed by the devil? Yes. And can we be influenced to the point that we make bad decisions? And you go, yes. But it always comes down to, do you have the final say? Do you have the choice? Yes. And understand this, and here's the piece in this. Greater what? Is he who is in you than he who is in the world? And that's so important. But he said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. Okay. Again, the, the enemy, he only has access into our life in the true sense by invitation only. Does he trick us to get in? Yes, but it's really, it's by invitation. We invite it through some activity, something that goes on in our life where we open the door for him. He doesn't have a key. Okay. Jesus said, I have the keys of the kingdom. Jesus does. And he gives us the key so we can lock them out. Okay. But he says, why have you let Satan? Oliver Wendell Holmes, he put it like this. He said, sin has many tools, but a lie is the handle which fits them all. I like that. Everybody have a, you have power tools and you use one battery, right? And you can just take that battery off and you can put it on every tool. A lie is that way. I, I love that expression. Sin has many tools, but a lie is the handle which fits them all. And just remember, you know, as we're looking at this, it's the book of Acts is about the acts of the Holy Spirit in the life of the apostles. And we see it here again. What does Peter do? He accuses Ananias of doing what? Of lying to God, the Holy Spirit. This is another great point in context of the person of the Holy Spirit being God, lying to God. And he says, you, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. He didn't say 
you lied to the Father, he said, or you lied to the Son, he says, you lied to the Holy Spirit, distinctively drawing attention to the third person of the Trinity, which is so important to us. Because like I said, we talk about the Father, we talk about the Son, but we don't talk much about the Holy Spirit and, and how the Holy Spirit works in our life. But yet Peter is doing that here. And it's not the only place in Scripture you think about this. Remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, when Paul is, he's rebuking the Corinthian church by, for the way that they receive communion. Do you remember that? He said that they, when you guys have communion, he said, you put yourself in front of other people because they had feasts, love feasts. They'd come in, they go, and you make your servants wait outside. You make everybody else that's not up to your standard. You go first and you put them off. And next thing you know that you've got divisiveness taking place. And he said, before you receive communion, what did he say to do? He said, to examine yourself, right? He goes, look in your own life. Don't worry about other people. He goes, look in your own heart. Are you walking with God? Are you right with God? Are you in good standing with God? And he goes, examine your own heart to see where you're at in your faith. And he said, and because some of you are receiving communion in an unworthy manner, he said, you're sick. He goes, and you're and some of you, what did he say there in 1 Corinthians 12, 8? He says to one, one person, he said, the Spirit, excuse me, in 12, 8, he reminds us of the gift of the Holy Spirit and what he does. And he says, and some of you have become sick to the point of death. You've died. So he's saying that, that because you haven't even received communion in a proper way, he said, you've died. It didn't mean that you died and lost your salvation. It means that just God ended your life here on earth and, and you went home to be with the Lord. And maybe there was something that the Lord had for you to do here. Or in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, do you remember the story of the son who was having sexual relationships with his mother who, or his father's wife who wasn't his mother? And it says to put him out of the church, right? To put him out of the church. And what it's really an interesting passage there, right? It says, for the destruction of of his flesh. Turn him over to who? Who do you say to turn him over to? You remember? He said, turn him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh that his soul might be saved, right? You go, profound. It's pretty, pretty powerful. And yet he says of Peter here, how does Peter come to this knowledge? And so what Peter does, again, he's telling him, you've sinned against the Holy Spirit. How did Peter know that? How did Peter know it? He had a gift of what? You can yell it out. A gift of knowledge. He had a gift of knowledge. 1 Corinthians 12, 8, it says to one person, again, the emphasis is on the Holy Spirit, okay? It's on the work, the person of the Holy Spirit. That's what we're seeing in the book of Acts. That's what Peter's doing. So Peter got a word of knowledge from the Holy Spirit about what Ananias and Sapphira were doing, okay? And it says this, to one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice to another, the same spirit. Who's he talking about? The Holy Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. This was a, a, a message of special knowledge that the Holy Spirit gave to Peter to call Ananias and Sapphira out. And, and I like, as one commentator put it, he says, it's an important point here because the sin was lusting after public praise for his generosity. It was appropriate that the sin be exposed publicly as well. You think of Matthew chapter 18. If you're a note taker, you might study that out. But I like this. It says, it's been well said 
it is a good general rule that the secret sins should be dealt with secretly, private sins privately, and only public sins publicly. That's a great way to look at that. Verse 4 goes on, it says, the property, Acts 5 says, the property was yours to sell or not to sell as you wished. It says, and after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. So again, Peter, he's not even accusing Ananias of lying to the church or even to the apostles. He's going, man, it's worse than that because you are lying to God. Uh, again, I like what David Guzik in his commentary says, their sin is uh, imitated in many ways today. We can create or allow the impression that we are people of Bible reading or of prayer when we are not. We can create or allow the impression that we have it all together when we do not. We can exaggerate our spiritual accomplishments or effectiveness to appear to be something that we are not. It is too easy to be happy, and I love this. He says, it is too easy to be happy with the image of spirituality without the reality of spiritual life. And I really think that was the issue, obviously, with Ananias and Sapphira. It's, I go to church, right? I go to church. But do you have anything going on with Jesus? I go to church. I have a Bible. I own a Bible. Do you read it? Greg Laurie would always tell the story of grabbing his friend's Bible off the back of the, the, of the car where you had the rear window and then pull, pick the Bible up and there's a sunspot on the back deck of the car there where the sun's just beat down on that. So I want everybody to know I got a Bible. They look in your car, they, hey, he's got a Bible there. They pick it up and the thing is just burnt on the back, hadn't been moved ever. It's like it's built into the car there. And that's what he's saying. Their great sin was rooted in pride. And really, pride is obviously the worst, really, and the truest sin of all, because it, it corrupts the church more quickly than anything else. Going on in verse 5 and 6 there, in Acts 5, it says, And as soon as Ananias, Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. I love this. Some commentators go, he, I think he had a heart attack, right? It doesn't say what he had, but I like looking at it through the lens of it's the acts of the Holy Spirit. If you think about the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit gives life, the Spirit gives life, right? We go, God said that a man, when he created man in the Garden of Eden, how did he create man? How did he create him? You remember? Yeah. Men, women, you're of a finer, finer material. You were taken of a rib, right? So more refined. Men, though? What? Dirt. That's why you can always say, man, he's just a dirt ball, dirt claw. Yeah. So you think about that. It was just dirt. How did it become alive? Man, see, that's what I love about you guys. Your Old Testament. He breathed life into him. Yeah. He breathed the breath of life into him. When a person dies, what do they say? They stopped what? Breathing. The, there's no breath any longer. And you go, yeah. And so you look at this and you go, the Holy Spirit, you go, what did he do to Ananias? You go, he took the air right out of his lung. He took the, he took life. He took the breath of life from him. And I, I love this. He says, as soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Everyone who heard about it was what? Terrified. It got their attention. You can imagine that. You go, hey, 
so-and-so died today at church. How did they die? They called them out and said that they, they committed this sin. And 90% of the people in the church are going, I, I've committed the same sin. And you, 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 would that get your attention? You go, what sin is worthy of death? Yeah, all of them, any of them, right? For the wages of sin is what? Death, yeah. So you go, man, it, it should cause trembling. This, and again, now let's context. Remember, I always tell you context. It's important that you read in context. When is this taking place? This isn't the Old Testament, right? This is the New Testament. This isn't before the cross. This is after the cross. This is not before the resurrection. This is after the resurrection. This isn't before Pentecost. This is after Pentecost, right? You're going, the Holy Spirit's been poured out. And the third miracle in the book of Acts is somebody going down, God taking them out. And you go, that, we just don't talk about purity and holiness that much when we really think about it. And you go, and you look at the church world today and everything else, and you go, is holiness important? Is purity important? And you go, yes, absolutely. He says, and then says, then some young men got up. They say the glory of old men was their gray hair. Of young men, it's their strength. So see, it's so biblical. They call on the young men, pick them up. The young men got up, they wrapped him in a sheet, and they took him out, and they buried him. And I was like, what one commentator said, he goes, some wonder if God's extremely harsh here, right? You read this, you go, man, that's pretty harsh. Wait a second. It was his property. He sold it, and he didn't even have to. And he gave some of the proceeds to the apostles, and they said that wasn't even wrong. He, it was his to do with what he wanted, and he kept some back, and you killed him for it. You got to be thinking, like, I'm ready to read this, and you go, man, I could be dead. And you go, but you didn't lie to the church. You didn't lie to the apostles. He goes, you lied to the Holy Spirit. You lied to the Holy Spirit. That's why wow. And he said this, he said, one commentator, he said, the greater wonder is that God delays in his righteous judgment of our lives. Okay, John 6, 63, again, the Spirit alone gives eternal life. A, excuse me, the Spirit gives life. It's not me, it's not you. Jesus said, human effort accomplishes nothing. And he said, the very words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. So again, Peter's drawing attention to the person of the Holy Spirit here. And again, it's such a critical juncture in the life of the church. And that's what I want you to see here, context. Man, imagine the early church at this point in its infancy with scandal, the satanic infiltration here. It would have corrupted the church at what? Its root. And I think that, that makes sense to us here. And again, I think I like what Morgan put in his commentary. He said, the church has never been harmed or hindered by opposition from without. It has been perpetually harmed and hindered by the perils from within. And I think that's what the Holy Spirit was dealing with there. And I think that there, of all the things today, church, as we read this, maybe the most important lesson that we take away from this is, man, don't delay in getting right with God. I don't know where you're at with the Lord today, but you don't delay. You don't have this thing. You go, one day, one day, I'm just going to keep doing this for a while. And then later on, I'm going to repent and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to get it right. And you go, man, I got good intentions, Pastor Mike. I'm going to get it right. 
let me ask you this. Do you think Ananias and Sapphira got up that day and thought that was going to be the last day on earth? Yeah, they, I don't think that. They thought it was just another day. Matter of fact, they probably haven't thought it was going to be a great day because they'd just given money and everybody was, they wanted to be celebrated like they saw Barnabas being celebrated, right? So they were thinking, man, this is going to be an awesome day. Only for it to be the day that you breathe your last. And it's such, such a great reminder. You don't know when your last day, but you're going to have your last day. So the key is, is be right with God. Hey, if it's today, that's one of the, it was funny when my wife and I we were going to Greece and we talked to people and they go, man, are you, is it, what do you think about going there with all this going on? I, I was kidding. I said, I go, how much more protected can you be? We got an aircraft carrier right next to us. We got F-16s flying overhead. You can't get any safer than that. But it's just that really the driving thing in our lives is, it's like I tell people when they go, I don't know about going to Israel, Pastor Mike. We, we have trips that go there and they go, it's dangerous there. And I tell them every hundred percent of the time I go, it's more dangerous living in Bakersfield than it is going to Israel. Read the paper, the whole state of Israel, other than right now, but you go, the whole state of Israel, you go, nothing's taking place. You go, five people were killed yesterday in Bakersfield. Did you realize that we have one of, if not the, we're like in the top two or three per capita. We have the highest murder rate in the United States of America, Bakersfield, right? The important thing is to know there's so many things you can't control in life, but what you can control is your relationship with Jesus. You are going to die one day. You're going to meet him face to face. Could be today, could be 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 years from now, I don't know. But it doesn't matter. It's appointed unto man to die, and then what? Judgment. The key is, are we ready? And I think of all the things that we could pull out of this today, I think that's, don't wait. Is there a point when it's too late to repent? Can you see that in here? It, there is a point when you're going to reach, there. it's too late to repent. There, there's no, no turning back. And to think that God is rich in his love and his grace and his mercy, that he died for sinners, that he is there, he's available. So I want to encourage you, identify that today, bring it to God. Dr. J. Urban Orr, in his last sermon, he titled it, Revival is Like Judgment Day. And I thought this is interesting. He says, in it, he describes how the coming of revival is almost always marked by a radical work of God in dealing with the sins of believers. Isn't that true? When we have great confession of our sins, we experience what? Great revival, whether that's personally or as a church or anything else, is that you do business with God and, and you repent of your sin and you turn him. It says that what in the book of Acts, so that times of what? Refreshing, right? To be refreshed in the Lord. You know how that is. You remember how it was the day that you got saved, truly that you got saved, now clean you felt, now right with God, and not because of anything that you did, but because of what Jesus did when you came to him. And, and again, Ananias and Sapphira, they missed, that's why Paul said that, 1 Corinthians eleven thirty. 30, he says, that's why many of you are weak and sick and some have even died. And like I said, there in 1 Corinthians 5, 5, he said, throw this guy out, this man out, and hand him over to Satan so that his sinful nature will be destroyed and he himself will be saved on the day that the Lord returns. You know, and do business with God. Verse 7 goes on, it says, and then about three hours later, this is sad, about three hours later, 
His wife comes in, Ananias' wife, Sapphira, comes in, not knowing what happened. And I highlighted that, not knowing what happened. John Corson writes this. He said, Sapphira had no idea what had happened to her husband, Ananias. Why? It says, because Satan always keeps his victims in the dark. Perhaps there was a time when you were involved in an area of sin and all those others prayed for you, talked to you, and were concerned about you. You remained in the dark until everything came down on top of you. Satan always operates that way. Like Sapphira, his victims are always the last to know of the destruction that he has planned for them. We are so easily blinded, and that is why we need one another. How I thank the Lord for the brother or sister who will come to me and say, hey, be careful, beware. First John 1, 5 through 7 puts it like this. It says, this is the message that we've heard from Jesus and now declare to you, God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but we go on living in the spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Yeah, it's so important that we come to God and we turn to him. Verses 8 through 10, Acts chapter 5 goes on. It says, and Peter asked her, was this the price? you and your husband received for your land. So she's in on it. I mean, it's pretty safe to say, right? You read that and you go, okay, she wasn't, he didn't do this behind her back. He did this with full, her full knowledge. And she said, yes. She replied, that was the price. And then Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door and they will carry you out too. Instantly, she fell to the floor and she died. And when the young men came in, they saw that she was dead. They carried her out and they buried her beside her husband. Now, what's really interesting, obviously, I believe, as I think you do, Peter received, obviously, a word of knowledge here. He didn't go in knowing what God was going to do. He didn't, does he say that to Ananias that you're going to die? He didn't say that, right? He just said, you lied to the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit that, so it demonstrates something to us. We're not to proclaim death on people. That's not our place. That's God's place. We just share God's word with people, share the truth with them. But sadly, Sapphira here, she was a willing participant in the sin, also in, in its cover-up. And God's judgment of her was just as righteous as it was of her husband. And then it ends with this, and we'll end with this today. So it says in verse 11, it says, and then great fear gripped the entire church. Can you picture, try to picture for a second how that had to be. This is a church service, right? These guys, and all of a sudden Peter's calling them out from the pulpit, right? Gets a word of knowledge. Man, you can read age-old commentary, pastors that stood at the pulpit and just went like this and started, Jimmy. And this starts and going right down the road to everybody. And you see the thing and you're going, man, and you go, and being a word of knowledge, right? And you, there's not enough steps coming up to this pulpit. And the pastor's going, you know what? I want to invite you to get out of your, your chair and come up and get things right with you and Jesus. It's not get them right with the pastor. You get them right with God himself because he knows. And again, are the gifts of the Holy Spirit important for today? And you go, Words of wisdom. Yeah, we pray all the time, right? We come together and we go, 
Lord, I, I was in uh, UCLA uh, with the family on, on Friday that uh, sons need a liver transplant. So we're there and, and we're praying. We're going, God, we need wisdom. The doctors need wisdom to how do we care? How do we do this? How this? And we believe that. We go, God, then words of knowledge. You go, God, give, give us a word of knowledge. You know, we ask for these things, that, that the same Holy Spirit that was moving in the book of Acts would move today in the same way. And he's the same God. What? The, he, and again, people go, well, Mike, I'm a cessationist, you know, with the guard, the gifts. And I go, I'm sorry, you know, uh, that you believe that. I go, we see miracles all the time. Miracles, bonafide miracles that you can, people go, well, I don't see them in the United States. And you go, maybe because either A, we don't have the faith to believe, or we've got hospitals in every city. You go to some country where there's no hospital at all. And you're having to just trust in God and call out to him. And again, book of Acts, how many miracles did I tell you that are listed here? 29 over what? About a 30-year period. If you do the math in that, you got 29 miracles over a 30-year period of time. That's one miracle a year. This isn't like it's every day. God says that signs and wonders follow them that believe. God does things at very specific moments in time to do something to get the, our attention in different ways. And here's this miracle, the third miracle in the book of Acts is a miracle of people dying. And you go, does he want to get their attention? You go, yes, it's the emphasis of the church. And he's going, I want you to be serious, serious about your relationship with the Holy Spirit. I want you to understand, grieve not the Holy Spirit. Paul would say that you have from God. The Holy Spirit lives in you. He works in you. He desires to manifest himself to you. Cultivate that relationship. Be sensitive to it, to his leading in your life. Yes, you read the word of God every day and you pray and his word is a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. But the voice will be that of that still small voice, the Holy Spirit prompting you and leading you and guiding you and, you know, and enjoying that relationship. And so it says, great fear gripped the entire, I love that. It wasn't just a few people that gripped the entire church. And it says, and everyone else who heard what had happened. And I, one of the things I love about this is it's the first time that the word church is used in the book of Acts. It's the word ekklesia in the Greek language. It means called out once. We've been called out. We've been set apart to God. And I love that. First Peter 2.9 says, again, but you're not like that, like those that are outside. He says, but a chosen people, you are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you. What does it say there? Can you read that? For he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. And then we, we would hold on to that today. And that as we close, that we would think about this, that we go, man, Lord, what is it in my life? Is there impurity? Is there unholiness? Am I lying to the Spirit of God? Am I trying to present myself to be better than I am? Am I a hypocrite? And again, the Holy Spirit is the only one that can truly, again, you can say things to try to convince or persuade people. You go, but to really think through and go, God, where am I at with you? And to do that business and to know that this, John would write, he says, and if we confess our sins to God, that what? He's faithful. And he's just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It doesn't matter how you came in and you can go out clean with God.
right with God. We don't want to make the same mistake as Ananias and Sapphira and think, oh, maybe one day, because you'll never know. Today could be that day. Today could be the day that we meet Jesus face to face. And so the question, and as soon as I say it in your heart, you go, am I ready to meet him face to face? And my hope, my prayer is that all of us, we can say yes. But if you can't, you can come to God, all of you, just your whole heart, your whole mind and go, okay, God, I'm in, I'm all in, in Jesus name. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your love in our life. Thank you, Lord, for your word. This chapter is so profound, so unique in so many different ways, so challenging, so convicting, but yet so freeing, Lord, to know that there's life in you, there's life in your spirit. God, you didn't come to judge us, Lord, you came to save us. But Lord, unless we come to you completely, wholly to you, give ourselves over. Lord, what we learn is we really have no part in you. It's an all or nothing. It's what you desire. And so, Lord, help us to see those areas of our life that maybe we're holding back or areas of our life where maybe, Lord, we're, we're trying to be something that we're not. And as I started the service, there's the thought of you want us to be. You want us to be holy as you are holy but we can on our own. We need you. And so we invite you, Holy Spirit, to do that work in our heart and our mind. As Paul would write, presenting ourselves to God as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to him, not being conformed to this world, but being renewed. I thank you for these that are here today, Lord. I thank you that, Lord, on a Sunday, they would get up and they would come to church and be in fellowship. And Lord, I pray that, God, you would bless them today as they go. That, God, they would go in the freedom of Christ today. No fear. There's no fear in love. For perfect love casts out fear. As your word says, that those who fear, they fear judgment. Lord, help us to know that you came, you lived, and you died, and you rose again. So that, God, we could experience your love, your life, your freedom. We could receive the gift of the Holy Spirit to be in us and with us, alongside of us, to fill us, and, Lord, to empower us to manifest himself. We, I pray, Holy Spirit, this week, you'd manifest yourself in the life of your church and your people, that you'd be glorified in our life. Lord, thank you for loving us like you do. You are a wonderful God. We bless you today as we go in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.